Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's the match preview with myself, Andrew Musgrove and John Gibson. His Newcastle United head down to Wolves on Saturday evening. But before we look ahead to that game, we do have the small matter of a Champions League tie to reflect on Newcastle United losing for the first time in the competition, falling to a 1-0 defeat to Borussia Dortmund. Uh, myself and John will reflect on that game and find out what Eddie Howe can take from it ahead of the trip down to the Midlands in a few days' time. Uh, please follow the podcast through whichever platform you're joining us on and leave us a rating and review. And just a quick note before we begin, here at Reach PLC, we've launched a new women's football monthly magazine. It's called Women Football News, and it brings you all the best news, analysis and opinion of the women's game. The link to audio copy is in the podcast description and you can find it in your local news agents and retailers. So go out and buy yourself a copy. John, welcome to the show. The first question I'm going to ask you is, have you dried out after yesterday's game? It was a wee bit wet, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, sitting in the second front row of the press box, the the, the relentless rain was caught swirling in the wind and driving uh, into the box. I was absolutely soaking wet and... Um, you know, by the time the referee thankfully blew his whistle to put us out of misery, I don't know whether I was just wet or knee-deep in tears, but um, it was a soggy old evening. It certainly was. It definitely was. And, uh, yeah, I was sitting not too far away from you and got equally as soaked by the rain. Um, what did you make of the game as a whole? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of negativity out on, on, on social media. I think... Some people need a bit of a, a reality check of how far Newcastle United have come, John. I'm not a fan of, of of harking back to the to the bad old days, but I do think in this instance, you know, you have to remember it wasn't too long ago when Newcastle United were, were scrapping around for survival. And here they are going up against one of the best teams in Europe and actually coming away probably thinking they deserved at least a point. Yeah, um, I mean, I follow that, and I keep banging that particular drum that we must remember and we must be grateful and we must realise we're on the early steps of a long road. There's no question about that. I think there's also, of course, um, a, a situation whereby, as much as we love the club, and I adore the club, and I've probably adored it longer than most people purely because of age, and I will continue to adore the club. There's, there are occasions where we've got to take off our black and white blinkers, us Geordies, and, and, and see the reality of it. We can still be grateful and still think, well, this was a reality check last night. And and I think it was. And I mean, there's no greater Geordie and there's no greater legend than Alan Shearer. And he said, Newcastle got what they deserved if we are truthful. And I do think that Borussia Dortmund were the better team. Uh, of course, you could make a case out for why Newcastle should have got something. I mean, at the end, they strike the, the woodwork twice. Uh, the keeper has a terrific game. But equally, in the first half, I thought they taught us a lesson. And But for one of the most marvellous double saves I've ever seen from Nick Pope, we could have been a lot greater in the mess by half time than we were. Pope produced two of the saves. I mean, it reminded me of, of Monty in the cup final with Sunderland in 73 and going back before that, Banks and Guadalajara against Brazil. I was at both those games. And that save, believe you me, especially the second one, 
last night was as good as that. Um, yes, we've come a long way. Yes, we're grateful. But yes, gratitude should not mean that we can't see what is put in front of our eyes. And I do think that be end and end all, uh, it was a reality check for us. And it was bound to come. This group has been turned into the group of death again. It wasn't, but it certainly is, because somebody's going to die, and it could be anybody, after that result last night. And it's quite amazing, you know, the two contrasts, Andrew. In one match, we've gone from Newcastle 4, Paris Saint-Germain 1, to Newcastle North, Borussia Dortmund 1. The, the contrast between the two matches is quite amazing, and the reflection it has had on the group standings from us being top of the table after Paris Saint-Germain to us being third now and facing two away ties plus a, fin a final home one against AC Milan. It is going to be tough uh, to qualify um, and not to go into the Europa League, but it's far from being impossible. Uh, but having said that, I mean, how much do we fancy going to Borussia Dortmund after last night, which is the next game we've got to face with 80,000 of those mad Germans in that crowd who were quite stupendous last night, by the way. We must pay absolute homage. We love our crowd, and rightly so. And what war flags in, in Newcastle United as a whole and everything's produced this season is quite sensational. But those 3,000 or however many there was up in the gods off made erratic, not not just from when they went ahead, from the kickoff to the end of the game. They were superb, and they are a fan club. They're recognised as that in Germany, and good luck to them when they're not playing us. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it has changed the complexion of things. I think that we... I must take my black and white blinkers off, and I, I have got them. There's absolutely no question and tell the truth, and, and I think they nicked it justifiably last night. Uh, but more than that, and that one result, not many sides come and win at St. James's Park. You've got to be a quality side to win at St. James's Park, and they proved over that. Um, but, you know, with the games that are to come in Europe, and the, the games that are to come right now, I mean, four of our next five games over three competitions are away from home, and the home one is Arsenal. So we have a, a right fixture list coming up. And when you add to that the, the injury situation, it does become serious and ominous and a bit worrying because the injury situation is running away with us. I was just banging on, Andrew, with you, about how pleased I was about our subs against Crystal Palace that we could bring absolutely quality on uh, to replace what we had. All of a sudden, with Elliot Anderson, with Alexander Isaac, with Jacob Murphy, on top of Botman and Barnes and, and, and on top of the Tenali situation, all of a sudden we're looking very lightweight again in terms of depth. Yeah, indeed, and we'll get on to that because obviously the injuries picked up by Murphy and Isaac will undoubtedly impact Eddie Howe's selection for Saturday against Wolves. But just a bit more on the, the Dortmund result. I'm actually going to disagree with you. I, I, I left St. James's Park. You knew you would. 
Yeah, well, in really good spirit. And, and it, you left the result aside. Spirit? Having just lost the dome in the Champions League to take us off the top to third, but you went to home elated. Please, oh, I didn't say. Please. I didn't say elated. No, you said in a good spirit. Good you spirit were because, good spirit. Because I felt Newcastle United give a really good account of themselves. The first half they weren't really? up to the levels, but second half I felt they were the better side, and I, I, I really felt that they could have got at least a point. And actually, they probably should have come away with with all three. We're talking about such fine margins. I mean, Callum Wilson has to score. Uh, that, that that chance in the second half. It's a great save, but, but it's didn't. right at the top of his game. I, I appreciate he didn't, but what I'm saying is, Newcastle United created enough chances that I think on another night they go away with all three points. I mean, hitting the bar twice. You're talking a matter of inches, and, and the ball's in the back of the net. Dortmund didn't really threaten Newcastle. They never looked like adding a second. I didn't think to to to, to their score, and I just feel like Newcastle United were positive. Newcastle United looked good. And I, I look ahead to Dortmund away and I think, yeah, Newcastle can head to Germany and give them a really good game in their own backyard. And yes, Newcastle United lost and yes, they're down to third and that is, that's tough and it doesn't look great at the table. But I'm not, I'm not feeling down here. I, I think there's enough positives that you take away from uh, the game on Wednesday night to, 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 to leave you in high spirits ahead of Wolves and then ahead of my night in the, in the cup in the, in Arsenal. Um, and I think you've got to you've got to bottle that, and you've got to ride that wave. Otherwise, you will start thinking about the injuries, and you will start thinking about the squad depth, and, and start getting in a downward spiral. Well, I think those black and white blinkers I just took off you just picked up, um, because I couldn't disagree with you more. And um, I thought in the first half we were not at the races, but for Pope, who I thought was excellent, um, we wouldn't have still been in the game. Individually, we had more players with negative marks in the uh, marking of players, you know, the, the sixes made, as, as we had positive. There was positive in Pope and in Gordon, but there were negatives. Our two midfielders who I adore, Longstaff and Joe Linton, I thought weren't at the races, and it's thoroughly understandable in Joe Linton's case because he had a heavy workload having just come back from a, a, a decent time out injured, I felt that Longstaff looked strangely lethargic, and I do worry about him because I think that he may have... A, a, I don't think he feels well. I don't know that he's got an illness or whatever, but it's not phys he's not um, carrying an injury, but he's not his bubbling of a vessel self. And so I think we lost it in midfield where Bruno was carrying the midfield greatly on his own. And both Longstaff and Joe Linton were consequently sucked because of that. I thought Wilson missed chances. And he's not there to miss chances. He's a centre-forward. I thought he missed chances. Of course we came back at them in the second half. We're going to. We're the home side with 50,000 there. We are going to. We knew that would happen. Uh, Dortmund knew that would happen. Um I agree with you that we must not get down and we must bottle any positives we've got and we must remember that our recent record is is played nine, one, six, drawn two and lost one. We mustn't lose sight of that. But I think we must also be realistic. And I'll come back to the thing that I said, that there isn't a greater Jordy or a greater biased Jordy than Alan Shearer who disagrees with you on that particular point as well. 
that he, he believes that Newcastle got what they uh, deserved by the performance, which is in our victory. Uh, sorry, in our defeat. It's it's not a. There wasn't a massive difference, but there was a significant difference. Now then, can we go in front of 80,000 in their yellow wall and turn them over there? Of course we can. But of course it can work the other way. And we're not in an ideal position where we've got two away games out of three left in the Champions League. It's going to be tough. I said before we play in the preview to Dortmund, we qualify through our own games. We've got to win our own games to qualify for the next round of the Champions League. If we'd got a point last night, it would have been so much better. Not because we would just have been a point better off, but Dortmund would have been two points less than they've got now. Um, and so it was important. There's no more, more bias than me, and I've been since I was a little lad in uh, grey flannel shorts. But um, I've also occasionally got to look at the reality of the situation. And it wasn't our night last night. And there's no shame in that. It wasn't our night. and But we were certainly, in my eyes, not the best side last night. See, I disagree. I disagree. I think well, it's not your disagreement. But I've got a right to my opinion, Andrew, as you obviously feel you have a right to yours. And so yeah. you do, of course. And so you do. But yeah, and you, you, you do as well. I just, I, I just think, you've said that it wasn't Newcastle United's night, but... I think they did enough, and it, it it was just their look. Their look was out. Like that second half, Dortmund did did very little. I mean, the, they, they didn't need to do anything. It was pawn with win. They were in the lead. They just had it was called game management. It was, but as Eddie Howe said in in the post match press conference, the ball just wouldn't go in. Newcastle created the chances, I... and you are talking such. Fine margins, but it's interesting you mentioned football's, football's fine margins, Andrew, and and the ball wouldn't go in. Sometimes that's called bad finishing, you know, when the ball wouldn't go in. And when we when we hit the woodwork the second time after uh, Wilson, we didn't hit the woodwork. The deflection took it onto the woodwork. Granted, it, 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 there was a deflection. It took it onto the bar and had left the goalkeeper stranded. Um rather than create a terrific chance and produce a terrific finish that was just denied by the ball. A deflection took it on the ball. But hey, I'm not trying to knock Newcastle United, heaven forbid. I mean, I've been thrilled with the way they played. And only three days ago, I was waxing lyrical about the performance against Crystal Palace. But there's sometimes, in my eyes, there's sometimes a fact that however much of a jury I am, however biased I am, However desperate I am for Newcastle to be successful, I've sometimes got to see the game uh, without those colours on, on my eyebrows. No, and I, I accept that, but what I go back to is the performance against Manchester City earlier in the season. Newcastle lost 1-0. And in that game, we were, we were very critical, John, and we said, look, they've, they've turned up, but they, they didn't do anything. They didn't threaten Man City. Arguably, anyhow, got it wrong. People people jumped on us and said, "Whoa, you've been far too negative here." You know, it's Man City, the best side in the, in the world, Premier League champions, Champions League winners. But still, I think our opinions were very valid. Newcastle United played it in their hands, and they lost that game really because they kind of just didn't do anything. Whereas Wednesday night against Dortmund, a very good side, 
I felt Newcastle did really everything they could have done. They threatened, they pushed, they they tried, and they were just unlucky. So I'm not going to sit here and, and and go in on them because I I I do think, and I know you're going to say you've got your black and white goggles on firmly, but I don't think I have. I think I'm looking at it from a point of view of actually Newcastle had the chances, and if the woodwork wasn't there, we'd be celebrating at least a point. And I I, I think that they deserve credit at least for that second half performance because granted, in the first half it didn't get going at all. Um. The big difference, of course, the big difference, of course, Andrew, and you're right about that performance of Man City, and we also produced a tepid performance at AC Milan. But the big difference, with they were away. This was at home. We ex the onus is on us. We're expected to dominate game, especially Newcastle United, who are so good. We're expected to dominate games at home, and and we have done. Our, you know, okay, we lost at home to Liverpool, um, with which was something of a fluke, 11 against 10, and they done us at the death. But this was at home. We were expected an or two with our quality. If we can't make a fist of it at home, we would be in a sad state of event. And I'm not having a go at Newcastle, by the way. You saying you wouldn't have a go. I'm not having a go at them. I'm just trying to be realistic. I think we, we, we had a, a go. But I never felt that either Newcastle United or the crowd, or the crowd, were at the best last night. I really don't think either were at the best last night. Um, I think one was waiting for the other to spark them off. And and in the first half, I went in at half time and I thought, oh dear with me. And we couldn't have got the goal at the worst time, of course, literally on the strike of half time. We were going to fight back the second half because we're at home. But it was how much we were able to do it. And... But hey, as I said, that happens. It's changed the picture. That's life. You've got to get on with it and make the very best of it and go to Wolves and, and go for a result and go to Manchester United and try to stay in the League Cup and have a pop in the next two games in um, in the Champions League. But you don't think they're going to be very easy. Going to Dortmund, did you not see enough of Dortmund last night to think in front of 80,000 at their place it might be a bit different? And it might be a bit difficult. And Paris Saint-Germain, although they didn't get a kick here, uh, are still top of the group and were group favourites before we started. So we, it, we've we got a couple of beaches books. We haven't just got a little uh, easy jog down the high street. No, I get that. But again, I, I like my, my opinion, at least, I saw enough, especially in that second half, to remain positive that Newcastle can get something at both Dortmund and in, in Paris. You mentioned Sean Longstaff. I just want to have a quick word on Sean Longstaff because it's interesting about your take on it. I felt Newcastle United suffered actually when he went off and there were uh, a few instances after he went off in which they got the ball in the position in which he's made that trademark run in previous games and there was a trip where I tried it but no one was there and you could see the space was there but the player making the run wasn't there and I felt actually Newcastle United... Um, the, I'm going to say they were less of a force. They weren't really a force in the game as a whole in the midfield. But I do think uh, their threat kind of evaporated somewhat when Sean Longstaff went off the pitch. But clearly you you, you don't agree with that, I don't think. Well, um, I, I never talked about what happened after he went off. I just meant that he, by his sky-high standards and the sky-high standards of Joe Linton, who were made both made a terrific reputation and deservedly so and rescued careers that looked as if they were going down the pan at one time. 
and and become a powerful force and a very very good Newcastle United side. By that standards, I felt neither of them produced one of their star-studded games last night, either Longstaff or Joe Linden, and that we got outmaneuvered in the middle of the park. Um, so obviously you felt that when Longstaff went off, it was Tenali that come on, did Newcastle drop from that position? Well, actually, I mean, we speak about Tenali as we're recording his uh, ban has been confirmed, at least from the Italian side of things, be banned for 10 months. So he'll be back August 2024. It is understood that he'll still be able to train with Newcastle and play friendlies, which I suppose is a little uh, glimmer of light because I did fear that he, he wouldn't be. Ivan Tony wasn't allowed to train with Brentford and that is wrong. So it's good to see, waiting for it to be confirmed, but it's good to see that it looks like Tonali will be able to train for uh, or with Newcastle United, um, and he's going to have to do some uh, some rehab and make 16 public appearances, and I assume that I'll be talking about the impact of gambling. Look, he had a send-off against Crystal Palace, John. He came on uh, against Dortmund. There were flashes, you know, there were flashes. I think that so far this season, Aston Villa's side, we've seen glimpses of, of what type of player Tenali can be, and we saw, again, Little bits of it in the time he had against Dortmund. Um, but just on the ban, what's your thoughts on that? We've been expecting it, Andrew, haven't we? And the length of it. Uh, we've just been waiting for confirmation that it's going to come. It had to come. It was absolutely inevitable. Um, Sandro himself knows, as his agent did, that it was inevitable, which is why he was, did a plea bargain. Um We've just got to get on with it. I mean, um, I feel aggrieved about it. I feel aggrieved about AC Milan and all this, and I would like that to be much more investigated, what they knew and didn't know before this transfer took place. Um, but right now, um, of course, I've got a, a certain amount of sympathy, a lot of sympathy for the boy, because an addiction is an addiction and he needs help and will obviously get help. Um, I agree that... that um, Aston Villa part I've been quite disappointed in his performances so far but I've also stated reasons why He's, he, he doesn't speak English fluently this is a new culture it's a new type of football that he's playing in, that, in the Newcastle sort of team which is all about pace and, and power and fitness and high pressure and he's found that very very difficult but I mean he, we spent fifty-two, fifty-five million pound on him, and to run Champions League nights, didn't us? Didn't we? Because you know he's been to the semi-final of the Champions League last season with AC Milan, and he's he, he won Serie A with them, etc., etc. And we're still waiting to see it happen. It he hasn't hit the the ground running as Isaac and Bruno did, although they didn't start quickly; they were held back. But they then looked quality players within the number of games he's had. Um, so we're, we're waiting for it. And uh, his, I was fully expecting this, uh, as everyone has been. Uh, the difficulty is it's come now, at a time when we're, we're already stripped of, of um, uh, so many uh, midfielders and Willick is not quite... It was lovely to see him get out there last night because... Uh, 
Uh, that was unexpected that he was close enough to get a run out. I'm not certain that, um, you know, it was fully intended. But once Murphy went on and then immediately came off, it was a different ball game. But the suspension will hit us at this time because we've got so many injuries. Um, and the midfield suddenly is looking vulnerable. So it's a difficult time, but it, it's this has been coming. It's not a shock. And it was just when it would happen. And, you know, a lot of people thought it would happen before last night. But we all felt it would happen then before Wolves. Yeah, and it, it has done. We wait official confirmation from the club and the English FA and confirmation of whether he will be able to train with Newcastle United. But quotes from uh, the FA president over in Italy have confirmed um, or at least he's quoted um, in saying a 10-month ban for Sandro Tonali. And we also have to say that there's uh, there's no suggestion at the moment that EC Milan knew anything about this betting uh, that Sandro Tonali um, that has, has um, admitted to. Um, you mentioned injuries, John. The injury to Isaac really seemed to disrupt the flow for Newcastle United to lose him so early on. And there's reports at the moment that he, he may... Uh, only return after the international break. So that's five games he's potentially missing. It's a recurrence of an, an old injury. And look, he, I know we, we and you had a discussion the, the, the other day about how, how he looked when he came off the bench. And I said he, he looked quite sharp. I think you said you, you weren't on the same wavelength. Um, but to, to, to lose the main striker that early on in the game, it, it was a massive blow, wasn't it? Because then you had to bring on your only other striker. You had to totally change your game plan as well. Um, how much of an impact do you think it had within the game? Oh, yes. I, I think without a shadow of doubt, it had a big, very big impact. He's a quality player. When Isaac's at his best, it, it's like when Joe Linton's at his best. Uh, they, they are absolutely outstanding. Neither have been fit enough to be at their best right now because, I mean... It, Isaac was already out with a, with a groin, uh, and his groin's gone again. So was he back slightly early? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but he is now going to be out a lot longer than, than he was originally, and that will impact hugely on us, because when he is fully fit and ready to go, he's such a visionary, he's got such good feet, um, and he's a different sort of centre-forward too to Callum, uh, who's an English-type bulldog centre-forward, as I call them, which is the, the type that Alan Shearer was, was perfection at. Um, this guy is a different sort of player. Um, but we've now got a problem because can Callum Wilson keep going? You know, in, in the, because everything it tells you, we I talked about how his fragile body is, etc., etc., before this, and that's why Isaac would play and Almirin would be back. And we were both right on that. That is what happened. Um, but all of a sudden, you've got Callum Wilson has played two games on the bounce in three days. He's now got to play Saturday in theory. He's now got to play Saturday at Wolves in, in Tuesday or midweek at Manchester United in the League Cup. I don't think he can continue to do He can continue to do that. So we then go, what do we then do? We then go with a false nine or Joe Linton. 
Well, the false nine would have to be Gordon because the other false nine that we, he uses or is happy to use is Anderson, who's not available to him. And, you know, if you move Joe Linton into his old position of number nine, we're already in trouble in midfield where we're going to go Longstaff, Bruno and who else. Willick is not fit enough to start. There's no question there. I mean, he, he last started last season. He's not fit enough yet to start. He's fit enough to keep coming from the bench. Miley has been uh, has had an illness, you know. So if you move Joe Linton out of midfield to play as a nine, uh, who do you play in that middle of the park? It is down to the bare bones. It's stick and plasters over wounds, and and it, it, it's difficult to know. We've got to try to st stagger on to the um, to the international break, in which will give us a a little bit of a break. But I mean, I cannot see Callum. Uh, the two that's happened, play against Wolves, play against Manchester United, play against Arsenal, um, game after game after game after game. So, yes, there's problems for Eddie to look at. There certainly is. And I think Newcastle United have been dealt a really unfortunate hand because some of the options that you would end up playing up top have been impacted by other injuries around. So, for instance, Elliot Anderson could have been a potential option at least to maybe fit in the midfield and free up Joe Linton but he was missing against Dortmund with a back injury, back injury which is bad news and then you've got the Tenali ban Anderson would have fitted in there nicely but we don't know how long Anderson's going to be out for um you don't want to really remove Gordon off off the flank because he's excelling he's arguably Newcastle's informed player he terrifies defenders when he runs at him I think he's a little bit nullified and when he has to go up top even though he played there uh, for England it's yeah, you know, it's it is daunting because Callum Wilson will not be able to get through the remainder of the schedule ahead of that international break. You don't think, and you know, we were banging the drum in the summer about that third striker, like bringing that third striker in, and it's interesting because a lot of the reaction uh, and from Aaron Stokes on the Monday show was, well, who would you persuade to come in to play behind Isaac and Wilson? And actually, now I think the response to that is, well, actually, no. They're not necessarily going to be behind Isaac and Wilson because of their injury records. They'll be going to play ahead of them. And right now, it's it, it's it's ironic, isn't it? You've got two young forwards out on loan. And had they been here, they'd be standing in with a chance of playing potentially on Saturday, potentially against my United in the Cup. And it's just it's just things have been dealt Newcastle United a very bad hand. And the situation that you can never predict is has not gone their way, I guess. Yeah, it hasn't. I mean, the fun thing is, and I'm not trying to point the finger at Newcastle's uh, policy in the transfer market because it's been truly magnificent, and I mean truly magnificent. But the amazing thing is we spent, and I've mentioned this before on this podcast, we spent $160 million on five players in, this, in the summer and not one of them started against Dortmund last night because we, we, we got... Um, we got Tonali, who we're now going to be missing until next season. Um, we've got Barnes, who's in the middle of a three months out with an injury. We've got two cover fullbacks and a young boy on loan at Fienaud. So we spend an awful lot of money to improve a Champions League squad. And because of circumstances with Tonali and Barnes, were, which were way beyond Newcastle's control, those two have been taken out. Fullbacks was our control, can 
Some people would argue that we didn't need cover fullbacks as much as we needed first-team players, because uh, Liverman and all are very much cover fullbacks. Um, and maybe that argument is true. Hindsight's a wonderful thing to have. But it was an awful lot of money spent in the summer to improve a Champions League squad, which, as things stand, partly through a fluke, all five aren't in the team, the starting lineup at all. Yeah, it is one of those that maybe needs a closer analysis. And you're right, a lot of people were questioning and whether the money was was rightly spent in in the summer. You know, long term, the likes of um, Hall and Livermore will will be first team players. Um, but right now, I think, and and Simon Bird made this point on when he was a guest on on the podcast, and he, he was talking about you know the need for players who can make an impact now. And um, certainly Newcastle United um, we could do with uh, some players who could 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 do that. Um, I mean, and you look in the, the unit twenty ones, John. There's no one about who can step up either, which is which is a topic well, for another podcast. Um, of course, you know, they are lacking options. Of course, it is. But yeah, that's true. And um, ironically, and it's absolutely true, we need an impact now. We don't need. We need an impact today. We don't need an impact tomorrow. I don't doubt. Like you just said, that the two fullbacks will be terrific for Newcastle for for years and years and years and years to come. But right now, we need an impact now. And funnily enough, the biggest impact now was supposed to be Tenali, who is now banned for ten months. But before he was banned, was still searching for the sort of form that justified that figure, and then that we know he's got the talent to play. We haven't seen that outside of Aston Villa. Um, at all, and and that's been a disappointment, no doubt to him as well as to us. And um, and now we're going to have to wait a long time for that to come to any fruition. So there's another tomorrow man, the same as the two fullbacks, Antonoli. There's three guys, and by the way, the guy Fino's another one. So there's four guys who are all tomorrow's men, not today's. And Garan Kual as well on loan. In Holland's another one who hopefully will have a big future on Tyneside, but of course, you know, you can't even play him in the first team because he is out on loan at the moment. Um, the atmosphere then, John, you, you, you've mentioned it briefly, but I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about it because that's really been the big discussion point about last night on social media, and it is about the atmosphere. People feeling it was very flat, people calling each other out on social media. We know social media um, is is a, is a tough place to be at the best times. But, you know, look, the Dortmund fans, as you said, were absolutely brilliant. The constant drumming and singing was just like a blanket over anything that the home crowd tried to, to do. It was nowhere near the PSG game. I don't think the rain, the weather helped at all. Everyone was absolutely drenched. But there were still times I felt in which the home crowd showed exactly what they're about. When uh, Dortmund scored, you know there was a big roar from the Newcastle uh, crowd trying to get you know th- their players back up. Towards the end, when Newcastle were just throwing everything at Dortmund, they were there, you know, with them with every shot, with every cross. I don't think it was entirely flat throughout, and I do think there's been a little bit of overreaction about the atmosphere. That being said it was far from its best. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think what really emphasised the whole point was the, the sort of extreme difference between two Champions League games. The atmosphere and the performance against Paris Saint-Germain was out of this world. The atmosphere in the performance against Borussia Dortmund was nowhere near that. And I think that 
that sort of reflection um, makes you realise. I think the two major things which you've already mentioned was A, the weather was absolutely horrendous and awful and you had to be in the stadium not watching it on television to know how bad it was. And secondly, uh, and I'm reluctant to give um, credit elsewhere, but secondly, the Dortmund fans, I mean, they're so organised, they're so... And when you're playing the drums and they've got this relentless beat and something you've done for ages, etc., that just take And you keep it going. How on earth did the... I mean, there was no door for breath. There was They never missed a beat on the drums. It just overpowered any other noise in the stadium, and which was quite a shock because we are not just a Paris and Germain, but we're used to what war flags and our crowd do, etc., etc., etc. The third thing, I guess, was our first 45 minutes didn't encourage the crowd to really sort things out because we weren't at our best, and I think there was a lot of apprehension People watching it, not in silence, but they were that engrossed. And can we get a good foothold in this? That we didn't get the natural. But I think some of that noise from up top certainly changed the way things went there. I mean, we're not going to go down knee-jerk reactions by saying, "Oh, the crowd were totally fault uh, flat, so it's partly their fault." Newcastle were well beaten, so it's their fault. We're not going down the negativity road, but Facts are fact. The performance against, against Dortmund was nothing like the performance against Paris Saint-Germain and the performance on the terraces wasn't either. And that's just fact. But there's, that doesn't mean there's any real criticism at all. You would never try to have a sweeping criticism of Newcastle United or their fans, for goodness sake, because this is a winter wonderland way now compared with what we're used to. So in no way is it it's just an observation and a truth, but it's not a criticism. Hmm. Well, I mean, there is a lot of criticism from certain sections on social media, and I do just, I just want to make a, a point because it's, it's, it's been getting at us slightly. There, there, there seems to be this wanting desire to find a scapegoat every time something goes wrong for Newcastle United, and actually, I don't think last night, as we've discussed, a lot of things went wrong for Newcastle United other than the result. And it, it does seem that today's scapegoat is the members. So you have season ticket holders, and then you have members who have access um, into a ballot to get tickets for the game. And I've seen a lot of people throwing members um, into the blame for last night's atmosphere, while at the same time not giving any credit for the atmosphere that was against PSG. Because if you're blaming them for yesterday, you've got to praise them for the fantastic atmosphere against PSG. I don't think anyone's to blame. If there's an issue, it's a collective issue, but it is really being getting at us because I, I I don't see the need. Why why are we blaming certain sections of fans? You know, the clue is in the name Newcastle United. It doesn't matter if you're a season ticket holder, if you're a member, and it doesn't matter if you're born on the banks of the River Tyne or down in London. You just want to see Newcastle United doing well, and I don't understand the need to find a scapegoat on the back of yesterday's result and performance because I think it deflects away from what was actually a decent performance against a very well-organised and very good side in, in Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, uh, I certainly don't think there's any need for a scapegoat. And if that is what some fans are trying to do, it's very unnecessary and it's very hurtful and unfair. There's no question on that matter. Um, you know, 
facts are facts. Yes, the crowd wasn't the same. Now, I think the, the Dortmund fans had a lot to do with that. I really do, because they set the tempo on upstairs. I mean, it was quite incredible. And if you're going to multiply that to 80,000 for the next game out there, it's going to be a wall of noise, the yellow wall, isn't it? Without a shadow of doubt. But I don't think we should be looking for any blame whatsoever. I also don't think that it means you're, uh, you're some sort of um, uh, bad guy or non jody if you happen to mention in passing that Newcastle weren't at the best in, in the crowd was quiet in against PSG because unless my old eyes or my old ears are um, suddenly all switched off, you see what you see what you see. But there's no need for any drama. I mean, we, as you said, we didn't play our best at AC Milan and we didn't play our best at Manchester City, but we still had a super season in terms of some of the performances and the string of results we had prior to this game, you know, where we played 8-1-6 and drew 2, have been absolutely stupendous. You get peaks and troughs in the season. That's what a season is about. And this, it's the side that has less troughs who wins a title or wins silverware. And so this happens. And I just happen to think that was won last night. But so what? That happens, peaks and troughs. It's a season. It's it's the Grand National. It's not over just two fences and then a, a run in to the uh, winning post. And it happens, and it happened last night. But you know, no matter if we go out and do the business against Wolves, and and survive in the League Cup on Tuesday, we'll be back on in seven seven, of course. You will indeed, and we're going to talk about Wolves in just a moment. We're just going to play a quick advert once again, publicising the new Women's Football News 2023 pullout. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's football is here to stay, and so are we. There you go. So head out and get that. It is a, a, an excellent read, and great to see that the uh, the women's game getting plenty of support. Let's talk about Wolves and John. Um, unbeaten in their last four, um, eight points from the last six games. Still, you would think among the favourites to uh, be relegated. They do have some decent players, but even with the injuries, even with the quick turnaround for Newcastle United, this is a game that they should be targeting to get all three points, right? Yes, they've got to do that. Uh, there's no question. Uh, I mean, Wolves have, in some silly ways, overachieved because they were really big favourites to be in the relegation dungeon before a ball was kicked. Um they're not. They're twelfth. There's something like seven points off the relegation positions, which is quite amazing. And and they're up as far as twelfth. And let us remember, they beat Manchester City at Monaco. And and this wasn't in the League Cup. This was in the Premier League, where both sides feel that their very very best team. I mean, in the League Cup, we made ten changes. Manchester City made X changes, and we won. But they beat them off a level playing field with their two best sides out. So they're nobody's mugs. But having said that, um, 
you know, it is a place where you go and you expect to win. I mean, Gary O'Neill is 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 being hailed in the West Country as something of a saviour. I mean, just in passing there, Andrew, it's made me smile a bit here. You know the secret of success? Get sacked by Bournemouth. I mean, O'Neill's got a bigger club than Bournemouth in Wolves. Historically, Wolves are a much bigger club. And he has shown that if he's given a little bit of encouragement, what he can do. And let's remember, Bournemouth sacked Eddie Howard. Look what he's done at a bigger club, Newcastle United. Being sensational. So get sacked by Bournemouth and your career takes off. But having said all of that, despite all the injuries we've got, despite everything, we've got to go down there with the idea that we win. Because this is where you pick up points on the road. Um, and the bottom line, we should still be able to... This isn't Borussia Dortmund. This isn't the Champions League. This is Wolves 12th in the Premier League and, and overachieving to be 12th. So we go there and get a result. That's what it's all about. It's, you know, the squad is about not just ability and not just a willingness to work, but it's about big hearts and it's about adversity and it's about overcoming adversity. And that's what Newcastle are faced with now. So let them go out and show because... What was our reaction to losing three on the trot early in the season? We've gone on a run where we, in eight games, we've won six and drawn two. That is the sort of reaction we want to see start again with the victory at Wolves on Saturday. Indeed. Um, Newcastle-wise, starting 11, obviously Nick Pope and goal, Kieran Trippier, Jamal Lasselle, Fabian Scher, because we don't think Botman will be, will be back. Now, Dan Byrne, Matt Target, again, I, I, I thought Dan Byrne did all right against Dortmund, but I thought Matt Target actually came on and also put in a decent enough shift. And I've seen a lot of people praising him. So I could see Matt Target starting against Wolves just simply because of the amount of games coming up for Newcastle. And just to give Dan Byrne a little bit of a rest, and you know, it's likely whoever plays left-back will be facing Pedro Neto, who is an absolutely tremendous player. I mean, he'll not be long for Wolves. He'll be heading to a, to a top side soon enough. And if he is indeed playing on the right wing, he's going to give whoever it is, Dan Byrne, Matt Target, a, a, a heck of a, a, a shift to deal with, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's quality. There's, he's absolutely top, top of the pops. And he is one of the reasons why Wolves have gone from being relegation favourites to 12th in the table and beaten Man City. And he is a wonderful player. And yes, I thought Target did fine when he come on. And um, th there's not much spreading of the load we can do these days because we haven't got many people in reserve ready to come into the site. But that is one position where we could play Target instead of Dan Byrne. And um, yeah, it might well be the inopportune time to do that because of the, the amount of matches that are still coming up. And, yeah, indeed. And then we you know we look into the midfield and we've mentioned there, uh, I mean, everything's just going against them in terms of injuries and, and Tenali's ban. You would think Sean Longstaff, Bruno Gomeresh and Joe Linton, you would think Joe Willick on the bench. I mean, Eli Anderson would have stood a chance of 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 playing, but he's, he's picked up that back injury. Lewis Miley still uh, recovering from illness as well. You know, again, he's picked up that illness at a total wrong time because he'd be within a shout of featuring as well, you'd think. I mean, it's got to be those three, hasn't it? 
Yeah, well, it, it, there's no there's no wiggle room at all, Andrew. I think if if other people have been fit, Anderson would have started as part of the spread the load situation and the fact that we aren't dominating games in the middle of the park like we have in the past. I think Anderson would have been in. But if you don't go Bruno, Longstaff, and Joe Linton, who do you go with when you haven't got Tenali and you haven't got Anderson and you haven't got Miley? Uh, there's no wiggle room whatsoever, as far as I can see. That is it. That's your mid, your, your three for the middle of the park, and then we've just got to look it up front. And how do you go without Wilson? With all the problems that can bring, unless you you decide this is the game to gamble with a false nine, and because Joe Linton's not available to use a nine, really, because he's he's got to be played in that middle three. But then who do you put? I'm just trying to think. I mean. If you play Anthony Gordon as that false nine, the, 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 the obvious alternative, Andrew, and you're right, is if you didn't go with Callum Wilson at Wolves or you didn't go with Callum Wilson at some stage because you've got Manchester United and Arsenal to follow, and the easier match out of those three on paper is Wolves. Then, you know, if you wanted players to get big hitters to be there, you'd hope they were there against Manchester United and Arsenal. Do against Manchester United, he'd field 10 new outfield players against Man City. So goodness knows what team he'll field against Manchester United. That's probably when he'll go with a false nine. Uh, but if you go with a false nine, the, it's got to be Gordon who played all that uh, for England uh, under-21s during the summer. You've got to go with Gordon because the alternative is Anderson. And, and he's not there. So you would have to be Gordon and then you would have to play. Then you can't play Joe Linton outside left because, again, he's needed in midfield. Then you can't play Murphy and, and Almiron and decide which one plays left, which one plays right because you haven't got Murphy. It gets more and more complicated or uncomplicated because you haven't got any any alternatives as, as we talk. So, you know, do, do you go... Wilson, Gordon and Almo on it was simply because if you put Gordon in there, who do you play wide? Well, I'm just going to double check before I make this suggestion that uh, this this gentleman is in the squad. I think he is in the squad, but I don't want to look stupid by saying it. I'm just double checking before I give you an alternative. He is in the squad. Matt Ritchie would probably have to be the alternative, wouldn't he? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm only smiling because we were really... Uh, and I don't want to be unkind to Matt, but he's at the stage of his career where he's just not playing. He's just not playing. Um, yes, the, the only only... It would have to be Matt Ritchie outside left and, and um, Gordon centre-forward. Would you do that at Wolves or would you do it at Manchester United? Because you do that in the League Cup, i.e., uh, make ten changes, which yeah, if you're if you're brave enough to make ten changes against Manchester City, you're brave enough to make ten changes against Manchester United. You don't know when it's going to come along, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, people forget that Matt Ritchie's there. We forgot that Paul Dummett was there, and suddenly he plays against Man City. He's a, a left side of centre half and does very well, by the way. Um, so yes, it would have to be him, and so Gordon enriches something that will have to be considered at some time uh, whether that's Wolves is a different kettle of fish of course 
Well, I do wonder whether we'll see some youngsters on the bench. And, and one name that, that does spring to mind is Amadou Diallo, the, the former West Ham uh, youngster. He's captained uh, the youth side here at Newcastle. And he looks a, a good talent. He plays out on the left. So maybe we might see him on the bench. I don't think we'll see him in the starting lineup for either um, the next couple of games. But they're going to have to turn to someone, I think, in the youth ranks just to fill that bench up. So he, he might be the name, uh, he might be the player that, that, that fits the bill there. Big talent, so hopefully he can um, he can rise to the challenge if indeed he is included. All that remains to be done then, John, is to get your result prediction for Saturday. How is it going to go? Great, great question. After last night and after all the injuries we've talked about, um, let me say that if we got a draw, I would be satisfied because of all the, the circumstances we've just talked about, how difficult it is to put it in 11 out. But I'm going to go for what we need and say that big Jody, black and white hearts and mention flying pants, and I'm going to go for a win. Uh, having said that, and it would be close because of the way things are, I would happily take a draw, but I'm going to push for the win. Now, obviously, my heart says win, but my head says a draw. I think they're in, they're in good form. Wolves and, like you say, Newcastle are really going to struggle. Maybe not necessarily to put a, a start in 11 out, but to, 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 to have a squad, really, because of the injuries. And I think a point away at Molyneux, you'd take that, you'd keep the unbeaten run going. And as long as you don't lose, I think that's the key. You know, like I say, though, you really do want, you know, the heart says win, but I'll take a point. Uh, fingers crossed, though, Newcastle do get the victory on what will be a testing afternoon down at Molyneux. John, thank you, as always, for popping on to the match preview to you guys listening and watching. Hit follow, hit subscribe through your platform that you join us on and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. And for myself and John, we'll see you guys very soon.